You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. And we're back with another episode. And here we are with some really fine new sound equipment. Yeah, don't adjust your speakers. What you are hearing is the new era of the Pastoral Calling Podcast. We want to thank our sponsor, yep, the Grace Gospel Fellowship, yep, and their generous provision of some new sound equipment for a lo- us to a try lion's out. share of the new sound equipment. So we're really hoping that it increases the quality of the audio production and uh, also your enjoyment. Yeah. Of the podcast. We'll, uh, we'll post a picture to our Twitter account of what this looks like. It's uh, a soundboard, two microphones, headphones. <laughs> Everything you could possibly want a, in a basic beginner podcast kit. In fact, we bought it from Amazon under the title Basic Podcast Beginners Kit. <laughs> it had everything that we needed, except maybe the cord to run from, yeah. the, from the soundboard yeah. to the... Jeff Bezos himself packed this, or at least sent his robots to pack it for us. And we want to thank the Grace Christian University IT department for giving us this generous USB 1 cable that (laughs) plugs into (laughs) sound equipment and goes to a computer. Yes. So we like simultaneously moved forward 10 years and also backwards about 14. All soundboards come with this old-fashioned USB cable, though. I suppose. But this is a vast improvement, at least in looks, from the single USB microphone that we were sharing for the last many years, including when we had three people on our podcast. It served us really well. It did. If you remember, though, we also had a couple of early episodes, one, two, or three in there, where we were experimenting with different microphone setups, and they oh, yeah. were pretty shoddy. Yeah. This this is it. So hopefully we're, we're good and you guys are enjoying hearing our dulcet tones dulcet tones a little bit a little bit more but uh we're back for another episode we've been trying to crank out uh episode every couple weeks like we used to and that's that's going to be the goal we have some exciting things lined up with uh a series a mini series a sub series what would we call that i like mini series yeah i like that we're going to be uh, doing some recording in the next couple weeks with sam vinton and some of you know sam uh sam is a Really a legend of missiological status. Yeah. Sam Vinton grew up in the Democratic Republic of Congo, formerly Zaire, and spent a lot of his early life there. Uh, But what's most interesting, maybe not most, but part part of his story is his father, who was one of the early pioneers of uh, mission work in Zaire, referred to as Baba V., Uh, And so Sam's going to come in and we're going to do some long form recording of just him telling his story and talking a little bit about his life and ministry. And uh, we'll have that unedited, but we'll also kind of chop it up into a few episodes. And I think we're going to shoot for three, three episodes with Sam Vinton as kind of our sub series uh, of of him. Yeah, it's it's part of our uh, commitment to this fellowship of churches and this tradition that we're a part of to really highlight his life and his ministry, he was a significant influence in the lives of many, many people who would listen to this podcast, or at least if they don't listen to it, they should and, yeah. and would enjoy it if they did. 
and a teacher at Grace Christian University, former president of Grace Christian University, with just a really remarkable testimony and the way that he, uh, in back in November, uh, we got to hear him share at a theology summit that we were all a part of. And when he shared his testimony and his years of ministry and uh, his advice even to young pastors, it was yeah. just so powerful and remarkable to hear uh, this octogenarian yeah. <laughs> share his advice. And we think that's going to be really valuable for everyone, really taking what he did in an hour and expanding that into you know, multiple episodes of podcasts to... Yeah to really get the full scope of it and not rush it. Yeah, that's one of the things we're best at, taking something that can be said in 10 minutes and stretching it out for upwards of an hour. We're, we're, we're getting better and better at that. It's a pastoral calling. <laughs> that's what we do to every be week. To able to do that. <laughs> How's life been in Loverland? It's going good. It's you guys took good. an IT, Ikea trip? Sorry, we forgot about you yeah. on that. Um, but with all of the Loverlands packed into the van, there was room for just one Malm dresser couldn't bring anything back from my friends. That's all right. We uh, we just ordered a uh, a wardrobe to re- replace the wardrobe that's in my room. Hopefully, we'll find some uh, some magical lands in the back of it. Once you put it together, it becomes magical. Yeah, we actually you find yourself in like the Swedish countryside if you go back into it. Instead of Narnia, it's like the Swedish <laughs> version of Narnia. <laughs> the Chronicles of Bajornia. Narn with a J. <laughs> Did you get, uh, what'd you eat? Oh, I had, we had the full experience. Yeah. So some meatballs. I had a few meatballs, but I got some salmon, some smoked salmon. Nice. Which was a nice choice with yeah. some greens. My daughter had salmon plate. Uh, kids ate some meatballs and some chicken fingers. So there's yeah. a little something for the Americans in yeah. there. Yeah. That was nice. They, they were tired by the end. Uh, and then I said to my son, who was just dragging on the floor, <laughs> everyone's this tired by the time they get all the way to the end of Ikea. Just adults are used to it. There was one time I was in Ikea and we almost, the one here in, in West Michigan is two levels. And so the top level, you have your showroom. The bottom level, you have your other stuff. Right. And we had forgotten something that we wanted. And so I had to go back. Snaked your way back but through. But in instead of snaking your way, there are secret. The shortcuts. You just easily get lost in the shortcuts. And then you really do find yourselves in the Chronicles of Bajarnia. And your uh, things, are, things are rough. But we made it out alive. Yeah, we had a good experience. And uh, we got to spend a lot of time with our, with our gym community that had a uh, competition out on the east side of the state. And oh, dual so, purpose. Yeah, it was it was fun family trip and competition for Michelle and and some friends there. So how'd she do? She did well. She was happy with her performance. Good. What so, was what did she do? Well, she did four workouts. Do you want me to get into the workouts themselves? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, didn't I really think, don't. I didn't think you really wanted me. I had to an, talk about I that. had a workout experience. Yeah, I never trained you on the kettlebells. Yeah, I had uh, Spike uh, brought me to a gym. Oh, fitness! And showed me how fitness to nineteen. Nineteen showed Jensen. me how to use machines. <laughs> it was great. I was very sore for many days afterwards, but I felt better. That's tough when you first start out, and and that soreness is something you have to overcome. Yeah, I, it made me very. Um, it made me appreciate what you full fitness people are up to because like I, I'm a runner and a cyclist fairly single monostructural cardio yes. 
which was which I really enjoy, but that was that's a whole different world. And it has has very real cardiovascular benefits that that you know are short duration people. Right. We're like the dwarves, right. very dangerous <laughs> over short distances. What am I? An ent? Something like that. Okay. Very long strides. <laughs> yeah, I can't keep up with you when you start running. Yeah. Well. So speaking of uh we were talking about Sam, an octogenarian. I had a recent experience uh with in, an older lady in my church over the last week that had some uh, some interesting kind of side effects in, in help helping me, well, not necessarily helping me, but in getting me to kind of think through like expectations I put on myself as a pastor. Uh, we have, we really only have like three or four like proper shut-ins or uh, housebound people at our church. Uh, we had a few more, but they recently have passed. And so uh, one of them is, is this, uh, this older lady who I've grown to have a really strong relationship with over my 10 years or so at Celebration, 12 years at Celebration. Uh, And so I went to go visit her, as I do generally once a month or so. Uh, I went in and we had a nice visit and everything was going fine. Uh, After about an hour or so, we prayed together and I was about to leave. And as soon as kind of the prayer was over, she she started having this kind of like emotional breakdown um, telling me how, not only how lonely she is at, at the facility she lives at, but how much she feels that nobody from our church cares about her and we've all forgotten her, telling me that I don't ever visit her. I've only visited her a few times and she's just really disappointed with kind of how the church has, has treated her and, and just feeling like she's not being cared for. And, you know, I, I tried to to kind of work through it and talk through it and be very um, uh, apologetic about the whole thing. But it ended up, I ended up leaving with this feeling that like there's, for, for those of you out there who are small church pastors, you maybe have this kind of feeling in the back of your mind of how much should I be doing? How much care should I be giving to my congregation? Like what is the right proper amount to be, to be doing. And you always kind of feel like you're not doing enough. And so even though I do feel like I, I do, and I know I do enough, when she was kind of saying those things, it was like affirming this fear that I have in my mind that I'm not a good pastor because I'm not visiting her enough and she's feeling left out and she's feeling. And so I left that just profoundly feeling defeated and deflated and discouraged and, and really like a, a failure in many ways. Now, the, the, the good news is I immediately reached out to her family and kind of shared this stuff. And, and they shared with me that she really has lost almost all of her short-term memory, which I wasn't really aware of because of the way that she's able to communicate so freely about long-term stuff. It, it didn't really kind of connect. And so they assured me that uh, you are visiting her enough. She just doesn't remember and kind of you could visit her every other day and she would still feel the, the same sort of way. So that that did make me feel uh, quite a bit better. But I think that experience of like that that feeling of like, okay, I have this this haunt, right, in the back of my mind that you're not doing enough, you're not good enough, you're not pastoring as you should and to have this moment of feeling like it was being affirmed, uh, 
I guess affirmed. I don't know if that's even the right word, but but being uh, being said that yes, that is true. You are not good enough. That was a really challenging moment for me and caused some really uh, strong introspection about about that sort of thing. Yeah, it's not the the fact that she has less memory right. or is less present doesn't diminish the experience of feeling like you've just been called out yeah. and the finger's been pointed at you yeah. rightfully so and that you're guilty of not being as faithful yeah. to those ministry tasks. And there are probably, I'm guessing, many different possible scenarios in which that could happen. Yeah. Kind of we're going around waiting for who knows when we're going to be exposed. Yeah. And that's and that's for people who are faithful in the ministry, who are trying hard, who are doing their best uh, to to work hard for the Lord and to work hard at what they do and and to do it as well as they can. And and it's like I feel like criticism brings yeah. that out. Yeah, and it's I think one of the the difficult things is as a pastor of a small church, especially a church like mine where it's me and Mitch, my youth pastor, they're full-time. We have a couple other part-time staff members. I am the employee and in many ways kind of the boss. Of course, I have my board who oversees all of it, but it's not like I come in on a Monday morning and I have my task list laid out for me. All right, Here are the things that you need to get done this week in order to have a, a, a full, successful week of ministry. And once you accomplish these, these things... Your ministry, you've done your duty of ministry and you can kind of go on to the next things. I come in on a Monday and it's kind of another open week. And I know I have my sermon I need to prep. I know I have these several teachings I need to do, but then there's also just kind of the un, the unlabeled things, right? Of congregational care and connecting with people and making pe- sure people are know, knowing what's going on with the prayer needs in the church and, uh, personal, right, spiritual development and all that stuff that, that kind of goes below the surface. And without having that sense of like, here is your set structure boundary, this is what you need to do, it can sometimes be almost op- oppressive, like weirdly oppressive to not have any sort of structure uh, or or specific boundaries like that. All that unstructured time, I'm hearing you say, like goes to create kind of this option overload where, well, I could do anything with this time, yeah. but if I really want to use it well, there's there's these five things or these five buckets where I need to put my time, but no one's really policing that either. Right. right. You've had jobs outside of like ministry, right? Have you had experiences like that? Well, for sure. I mean, you work, you work in higher ed and so, and I work in higher ed and, and when you do that, it's like you're life is structured around the class schedule. Yeah. So I do like the rhythm. I do like having different schedules from four-month block to four-month block. But there is that same kind of unstructured time where there are many tasks to do. And some of them are, you know, you use the, like the Stephen Covey quadrants, you know, quadrant one, quadrant two. And um, many of them are important very few of them are urgent. Yeah. And so the the time is a matter of structuring uh, what is unstructured and kind of bringing order to that in such a way that 
you continue to make forward progress. You know, one of the things that I'm increasingly aware of is that uh, as a faculty member, I'm not dedicating any structured time to research, hmm. to pursuing my own intellectual projects and doing some writing or uh, expanding my knowledge base of understanding, whether it's philosophy or theology or ethics. It's it's strange to say that the the things that I love to do the most, I sometimes feel like I'm spending the least amount of time on. By choice or just by nature of, of your tasks? Yeah, by the nature of the, we call it the whirlwind of... The whirlwind? The whirlwind. <laughs> um, just a consistent overwhelmingness of daily and weekly yeah. needs that come up in the short term yeah. of things that are important and have to be addressed yeah. and constantly push out yeah. the things that are kind of the slow or long-term projects, then that's going to be like pastoring too, because you never know when a need is going to arise or yes. some crisis in the church, or there's a funeral suddenly you have to plan. Those things come up in, in ways that are, um, well, like just last night, I texted you and asked if we could push this recording back because I had to run into a hospital call this morning. Yeah, and that and that puts demands on your time that are unpredictable, mm-hmm. and it's almost you almost have to have unstructured time in order to sustain those demands. But you never know; should yeah. it be at the beginning of the week or right. at the end of the week? Right. And uh, it's got to be um, head spinning for a pastor to try to think about how to structure life in a way that that makes sense and has that rhythm week to week. Yeah. And I don't know what this would be like at a bigger church, you know, where there are multiple staff, where there is like an executive pastor or whatever, where that's kind of saying, all right, here's the task you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Let's get our check-ins, all of that stuff, because that's never been my experience. And so that might, might be something uh, very different. I want to kind of go back to something you were talking about, how you don't have time for some of those long-term research development sort of thing. What's uh, interesting about that is that's similar to kind of the pastoral um, need for kind of spiritual development. And it's almost like the unstructured time feeds better into, I don't know how do you call it, like virtue, (laughs) like creating you into being a particular type of person that's going to be able to do your job well rather than specific tasks, right? So like you have this specific task, you need to get this lesson plan ready, you need to get this thing ready. But that stuff is more about becoming the type of person who can teach well, right? Becoming the type of person who has something to say. And that's very similar to the the pastoral work, right? Is we have all these tasks, but we also have this need for spiritual depth in our own lives. For sure. You have to have that. And I think, you know, as I, as I lead my church council and as I work with my pastoral staff, this is something I keep coming back to as I want to encourage them to have that time Yeah, that it's not all study and prep for teaching or planning of events or sermon preparation or planning a worship service that there has to be dedicated time for self-work. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like how, yeah. you know, self-help yeah. that yeah. sounds, but to allow dedicated time to, to set that time aside for God to do work on us and to transform us. Like yeah. you said, development of virtue. Yeah. Um, 
developing certain kinds of character traits or developing certain postures of reading scripture or reading outside of scripture, yeah. broadening yeah. as a human being. So the, the time management piece is crucial. I think it, I'm, I'm guessing it probably takes a long time to work it out. And, sure. And there are a lot of pitfalls along the way. Sure. And I've learned for me, and we may have talked about this in a previous episode, I, I flourish within structure, right? And so one of the things when we did our coaching relationship, when however many years ago that was, that was something that kind of came out of that is, is even my, the way I do my sermon blocking of sitting down and saying, all right, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, even like for a week, you know, a normal week schedule, here's my hours, here's what I'm going to do kind of here, 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 and here. And it took me a while to learn that, right? I spent a, a, many of the first years of pastoral ministry not really knowing exactly how to go about that. And so doing a lot of kind of, all right, what should I be doing now? And despite having the desire to, 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 to do good work, when you spend a lot of time thinking about what you should do, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're not actually, not actually doing, doing anything. It. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that to me was, was really helpful kind of coming to that, uh, understanding and embracing the, the more structure, uh, in, in how I go about my week in my life. What about the pressure? Cause we talk a lot about internal and external pressures. What about the pressure that comes from the pastoral ministry being your job? Yeah. And there's then cultural expectations yeah. of, how many hours per week yeah. that you work. And sometimes that can, you know, we can overshoot that and we can undershoot that. Yeah. And I think that there's related feelings of I'm doing too much yeah. or I'm not doing enough. Yeah. And, it, and it's hard to rest in the middle of that. Yeah. Well, and I often think about that, like to, to some degree, I think if, if we're honest and we look at the, work ethic of the American culture in general, or maybe the work ethic, or at least the, the idealized or the idolized work ethic, right? Of Eugene Peterson always, always points out that in our culture, busy always equals important, right? And so, so often if somebody asks you what's going on, you say, oh man, I'm really busy. That communicates, oh, this person must be important because they have so many things to do. Uh, He gives the analogy of a, of a doctor. If you went into a doctor and and they wanted to and you say, hey, can I get an appointment? They say, oh, sorry, we can't get you in for three weeks or four weeks. You think, oh, that must be a good doctor. But if you go into the doctor's office and you look back and he's just kind of sitting back there reading the newspaper, maybe you think, oh, I don't know if this is such a great doctor after all. Like a barber. I was going to say the barber. is <laughs> less <laughs> important. <laughs> Mel. He, I always feel so bad for him. He is really busy on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays. He only works three days a week. So... I like to go to Mel. He's my local barber, but he's only open three days a week. <laughs> but that same sort of concept, right? And so we idolize that. And I think that's that's nothing new. We're not giving any fresh insight here, but our culture idolizes full schedules. And even today, I, I had a few minutes before I needed to get to the hospital this morning. So I went and had an espresso at Madcap and overheard the people behind me talking like, oh yeah, I'm got to go to New York the, tonight. And after I'm New York, then I'm heading over to Amsterdam. In my mind automatically thinks, whoa, this guy must be important. He must be really 
significant because he's so busy and all this traveling and everything that he's doing. And so I think we, we're aware of that, but we're also aware that that's not healthy, right? Being people who work, 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 work is not a God-ordained rhythm of life, right? We don't have to get into the whole Sabbath rest and all of that stuff, but I mean, consistently through Scripture, you see this idea that being workaholics is not a virtue that is that is necessarily praised in Scripture. And so for so long, though, I think pastors in the Western world have 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 fallen in line with that and have helped to idolize busyness and work and, and full schedules. And so now we're coming to the point where I think culturally pastors are recognizing the damage of that, whether they just see the emotional relational toll that that's taking on, on people in general. But part of, I think the task of the pastor is in many ways to call out that false rhythm, that false idol of work as meaning, work as purpose, busyness as success or busyness as uh, character importance, you know? And so how do we do that, right? How do we simultaneously work in a way that we are being faithful to the people who are paying us, right? The, the people who are giving so that we can have comfortable lives based on, on that, yet at the same time, model a, a better way to, to live that is not simply achievement-based and work-based and busy schedule-based. Yeah, I like the way you said that. And you really captured the tension well of, I'm supposed to be doing this because it's my job and people are expecting to do me to do this, to be because that's what they do, right? To work hard, yeah. right? After all, pastors only work one day a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always, when people say that to me, I say, no, 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 we only work two hours a week. <laughs> right. It's kind of... Right. You just show up and do... The turn thing. them, turn the other cheek. Very good. Heat burning coals on their heads. Make them carry my bag two miles. No, that's the other wrong one. Maybe it would be a good thing for church boards to listen to this episode of the podcast, if not the whole thing just to hear a pastor's perspective, maybe not your own pastor, but coming from an external perspective, saying there's a cultural form of idolatry of work yeah. and busyness that pastors are called to model against. Yeah. And, and, in the, and in the midst of that fulfilling of their call, they point out this is not good for people, and then they live that, and then maybe one of the burdens of pastoral ministry is that you have to be willing to take that abuse that says you only work one day, you only work one day a week or to say, um, you know, for like, I'll give you an example from our staff. We have a, uh, we're blessed in our church to have multi-staff and a pretty small church. And so there's always this conversation that happens around the, you know, well, we, this person was a part-time in their role, and then we moved them to full-time in their role. Let me see the the cash value or the cash difference in their full-time role. Right. And if I'm not seeing that, then there's this very um, right. economic right. dimension of this We're paying that. them this much, they should be doing this much work. And I should be able to see it. Yeah. 
and and personal growth and personal development, reading and yeah. study and pursuit of virtue, yeah. like you were talking about, does not factor into the American vision of what does a full work schedule look yeah. like. And that's where, again, we so often, I so often refer to Peterson, but the way that he kind of phrases it is that in our Western church culture, pastors have moved from being shepherds to being shopkeepers, spiritual shopkeepers, right? That they, as long as they keep the task running and, and keep the doors open and put on a good show on Sunday, uh, and, and I think what he kind of will suggest that we do, and this has been helpful to me, is kind of subverting that a little bit and doing those things and to some degree uh, not appeasing the congregation, but these are what they're expecting. They're expecting the con- the service to flow well and all of this stuff. And if you can kind of get that stuff done. But then it's in the days between Sunday, right? The, the other six days in which you are kind of subverting this idea of task, task, task. And that's when you're actually able to be diving into those, those virtues and those, um, those, those deeper, those deeper things. And, and that's when we talk about the pastoral calling and we don't want to be, I don't know, dismissive and make it sound like our job is any more important or significant than anybody else's job. Um, one of the things that I just find is that it's different than any other job, right? It's it's different than my friends who work really hard as an electrician, you know, and are up at 5 a.m. and are out in the job site and are, are working hard. And I have so much respect for that and envy to some degree because I could never do a trade like that. I don't have the the skill or the knowledge or, you know, our job is just different, you know, and and in order for me to be helpful to him and to be helpful to the stay-at-home moms in my congregation and to be helpful to these people, I need to be doing something different, right? If I am just task-based, I'm not going to be the type of person who can speak powerfully or speak in a helpful way into their lives and, and, and be that kind of conduit of the Word of God that they're not going to get that anywhere else, right? They're going to get people who can give religious advice and they're going to get people who can give them a Bible reading plan and people who can, you know, do all that sort of thing. You can find that other places, but where else are they going to be able to find someone who can be a shepherd of them and of, of this community? And so that sometimes is a helpful way for me to kind of think through the uniqueness of my my specific job and work as compared to some of my 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 congregation members who are kind of the 9 to 5 tradesmen kind of thing or I, businessmen or whatever i think and i think there are people who get it there are people who work like in the helping professions yes. or in um maybe other more human contact jobs mm-hmm. where you're working with people on a regular basis those those folks in the congregation tend to understand at a deeper level, yes, uh, and, and they sometimes will self-correct and say, I know that as a pastor you need to spend time yeah. doing the things that no one else can do yeah. or doesn't who, people don't have time to do this to, to become the kind of person who can be that shepherd yeah. at a moment's notice yeah. and be there at a funeral yeah. or, you know, help with, with um, you know, a crisis in the family. Yeah. 
you have to be a certain kind of person to be able to do that. Right. And you don't get to be a certain kind of person right. by, well, I guess I'll put it this way, to work 40 hours a week yeah. on development yeah. and teaching and preparation and kind of the business management of yeah. running the shop, that will make you a certain kind of person. Right. But doing these things that we're talking about of pursuing spiritual growth and mindfulness and kind of holistic spirituality, yeah. that makes you into a completely different kind of person, yeah. one who's able to shepherd yeah. this small congregation. And then the thing to remember, though, of course, is as you move in that direction, you get closer and closer to the line where you move from being intentional about, we'll continue this virtue development language, to no one's keeping track of me. They're not expecting me to do tasks so I can just, you know, whatever, be on Facebook all day on my computer, you know, and stuff that is, right, right, that's the other side of the coin is there is a sense where if this is kind of the uniqueness of your job, you still need to take that seriously, right? You still need to be uh, reverent to that 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 flexibility maybe is what you can what you could say is is aware of that and thankful of that and and receptive of that really that amount of time is a privilege yes coming back to my work in higher ed in teaching you have a, a class schedule and so you teach monday wednesday friday or or what have you or a class here and there tuesday thursday but there's the, a lot of that open unstructured time yeah and so the challenge for me is to make sure I'm using that time well. Yeah. And it is difficult because even in the higher ed environment, I think I can say this with with some transparency. Yeah. There are some of us who work as staff yeah. at Grace and there are some who work as faculty. Mm-hmm. And that's it's kind of a two-tier system where mm-hmm. faculty have freedom and license to come and go as they please and they teach their classes and they grade at home and they grade in the coffee shop and they meet with students and they're in meetings all the time. And there's an expectation that the work is getting done, but it's not punching a clock nine to five. And that can create some tension with the people who do bunch a clock Mm -hmm. nine to five as staff. And, And that's a challenge that I've had to work through as well. And it's similar to the pastor where I need to take this unstructured time and make sure that I am faithful and responsible with it. Yeah. And so how have you done that? Or what are some... Well, one thing that helps is is kind of an overall philosophy of life or philosophy of ministry. And if, if you're out there and you're a pastor and you don't have a philosophy of ministry, like this is why I do what I do. You sat back and thought about this is who I am. This is who God made me to be. This is the church where I serve. This is what my ministry should look like and kind of distill it down to some non-negotiables. Let's or do an episode on that. Essentials. On how to kind of work through that stuff. Yeah, I think that would be fantastic. Yeah. The, for me, I, I have this philosophy of holistic approach to ministry. Yeah. So my goal in everything that I do, whether I'm here in the office or teaching a class or meeting with students or I'm with my family because I've got homeschooled children at home or I'm at the gym doing exercise or anywhere in between, I want to be the same person. Yeah. I don't want to have a different mask that I put on for different ones of those Jim Matt. Jim Matt. Jim Rat. Jim Matt. Jim and Matt. Jim Jim and Matt. Matt. (laughs) 
<laughs> we need is a Jim Jim. Ooh, I don't think Jim Jim was last Monday and he's still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Jiminy. Yeah. That's Jim Jiminy. I got it. Thanks. All right. Good. That's good British reference. Right, mate. Anyhow, there's always one of those in every episode. <laughs> Uh, inoffensive, inoffensive <laughs> accent. Things just get out of hand. <laughs> Jim does a British or Australian accent. <laughs> so in that holistic philosophy of life, I try to give myself permission to not hmm. have a punch the clock mindset. Hmm. Even though that pressure is always there. It's yeah. kind of just on the edge of my vision. I feel... And people look at me coming or going, and I, I can kind of tell that they're thinking, well, is he, is he here as much as some people should be here? Yeah. And I try to think to myself, no, my whole life is committed to this life that I do. Yeah. And I don't know where, you know, the, accountab- the accountability piece there comes in, like, am I on time for my classes? Yeah. Am I prepared and ready to teach? Yeah. Do I get my grades turned in? Yeah. Do I... Um, meet with students and fulfill those mentoring relationships. So as, you know, and and does my wife feel like she's an important part of that equation? So there are all of these checks and balances that are, that are like little dials or knobs in that system. And I can, and I can check and see where things are at. That's kind of how I do it. But I don't know, you know, with pastoral ministry, there's a bunch of knobs and dials and you can check and see where things are yeah. at, but there's the big tasks too. Like what are the buckets of pastoral ministry? Well, for sure. Uh, for, for me personally, my two are teaching my teaching ministry and my congregational care. But I think you can break that down, right? Cause the sermon is its own thing. And that's the, that's for better or for worse. That's probably where you're going to be graded the most, right? In, as as far as Those like, are the two hours a week that you work. <laughs> but as far as like the congregational, like if you preach well, they're going to think that oh, you must be doing your job job well. But I also think that that is an essential, like that is something you should be putting a good portion of your time in. You know, um, unless you have the the luxury or the curse of being a a teaching pastor where that's your only job. Um, You know, I personally put probably about a third of my weekly time into sermon work. Um, And so that's that's a big one because, again, that's the time where you're going to have the most broad influence and impact and ability to connect with the most people in the congregation and, and to, to do your work well for that. And so there's that, but then there's also like the Bible studies and the Sunday school and the small group type ministry things that you're, that you're a part of. Um, but then there's the congregational care. And again, you can break that down, right? Because you have like your elder care, like caring for some of the seniors, doing some of these visitations or maybe hospital care, going to people who are whether we, maybe people in need is, is just a basic way to do it. But one of the things that I've tried to do, and it kind of comes and goes in season, is also trying to be intentional about building relationship with people who don't have needs, you know? And so there was a while where I was trying to once a week go to lunch with somebody from the church, a, a guy from the church, go and meet them at their work and just see what they do, 
have lunch with them just to kind of connect with them. And again, that kind of comes and goes in seasons based on on what's going on in my life. But I find that to be have found that to be a really valuable way to just just build into the congregation and do that shepherding work, right? Because if I'm only and, and I think it, that came about when I would meet with some of these people after their parents died or whatever, and you spend so much condensed time with them and you really get to know them well. And like there's one in particular where I spent a lot of time with this guy after his, his mom passed and thought, man, like he has such a like deep, rich story and there's so much he's such a a, a more three-dimensional person than I generally have just kind of give him credit for just kind of saying hi and small talk in the congregation. It's like, why have I not done this before this time of crisis? Like, why have I not been kind of building in and allowing him to build into me in the times of plenty, not only in the times of, of want? So that really kind of spurred me on to, to, to focus on that end of the congregational care. And maybe I wouldn't even use the word congregational care, right? Just relationship building or something like that. That's hard though. And I could hear even in what you're describing, the tension of, I want to be enough for people. I want to yeah. make sure I'm doing my job, like doing right by them, Yeah. but you're only one person. right? And so it's hard to get to know every single person right. and you can't, you don't have enough time for that. Right. Similar to my, my students, you know, I, I don't want any student to fail or to be left behind. But the reality is that I'm going to teach to the ones that I sense I'm having the most impact on. So if there's a group of students that kind of, you know, gravitates toward the front of the classroom or they clearly are interested in learning or maybe they're interested in learning or, or they want to learn from me in particular... I'm going to spend more of my energy just naturally on them. And yeah. it doesn't mean that any student is less important. Right. But the way that God works is to bring people into our lives and yeah. then bring people out of our lives in in really mysterious ways mm. that there's no I you know, I wouldn't necessarily have predicted yeah. which students are gonna be the ones that I'm mentoring or which students um would end up not right. being the ones that I have an influence on. Right. And so, but you also have the, when you are teaching, right, when you have your 45-minute class, you are giving the same amount of uh, impact, influence. Awesomeness. Awesomeness to all of the students, right? But it's the kind of the the smaller, more interpersonal relationships that are developed in the in-between times that you're kind of referring to. Yeah, and, and even in that, you know, in the course of the last year and a half, you know, I had a small group of guys, maybe two or three, top possibly four, yeah. come to me and say, you know, I'd really like you to be my mentor. Yeah. And say, yes, but, you know, I've got all of these things going. I can't possibly meet with all of you yeah. to mentor you. And so we ended up getting together in a small group hmm. consistently. But even then, more people kept coming and yeah. saying, I know, I want, I want you to mentor me. And I... You had to get into the boat and cross over the other side. And scene. then the schedules don't work, you know, <laughs> right. and, you know, the boat's not big enough or, you know, someone has to, you know, yeah. work at the cafe or something yeah. like that. And you, I'm just learning to allow that, that pastoral, that personal yeah. ministry to, to ebb and flow as God leads yeah. and not, and not allow myself to fall into the trap of, oh, now I'm failing people 
or yeah. um, because it would be pretty easy to make my calendar wall-to-wall meetings yeah. with people. And yeah. it would be rewarding for me, but yeah. it would be exhausting yeah. and not sustainable. And then you're not able to be the mat that these students are drawn to, right? Kind of going back to that. You don't have those margins. Exactly. Uh, the Maybe the, the last little Peterson uh, insight here. He, in, in the contemplative pastor, he talks about kind of the importance of, of, of prayer, right, in the life of the pastor and making sure that you're a pastor who has time to pray. And he, he recognizes that so often we don't have that time and, and we do fill our meetings. And, and if someone were to come to you and to say, hey, pastor, can you meet with me? Or, hey, pastor, can you come to this meeting or whatever? And you say, no, sorry, I can't right now. I have to spend time praying. Their response is going to be, well, can't you just do that sometime else? Like, can't you pray like half hour earlier or half hour later? So what he does is he he actually puts schedule blocks in his schedule that say prayer. And so when somebody comes to him and says, hey, can I do that? You'd say, oh, sorry, my schedule's full right then. And immediately people will say, oh, okay, no they problem. Respect they, the respect the, they respect the, the authority of the date book over the authority of prayer. And so... Like, I thought that that's, that's such a clever, again, his kind of subversive playfulness of saying, you know, work with culture, yet also subvert and work against Christian culture in order to bring about the true gospel life in, in the work of the pastor. And so I, I really like that idea of scheduling things and simply saying, sorry, my schedule doesn't allow it because you, you've scheduled prayer or <laughs> you've scheduled silence into your, into your, your life creating those margins intentionally. That's fantastic. That's such a great solution. I think I'm going to go into my Google calendar <laughs> and schedule all of that, and then you can mark it as busy. So when anyone else looks at your exactly. calendar, it just looks busy. And then you get the double because they think you're really important also. I'm busy all and the time. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, do it. Problem solved. <laughs> Thank you, Google. <laughs> Well, this is good. It's good for us to kind of talk through these things. And uh, if you're out there in pastoral calling land, and remember that we're on Twitter. Um, we just got back onto Twitter. I deleted my Twitter account, and so now I'm I get on it every now and then on the pastoral calling one, and I remember why I deleted my Twitter account. I deleted my Twitter like three years before you. Oh, well, aren't you fancy guy? I deleted it once a long time ago. Yeah, and then you brought it back. I had like 10,000 tweets or something. It was ridiculous. And it was all just silliness nonsense. Yeah. Most of them were probably replying to you. Yeah. <laughs> now they're just lost into the ethers. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, you can get a hold of us there. Oh, we have an announcement of our winner of our contest. Okay. The winner of the contest is... Drum roll. The one and only super fan, Gary Hansen. <laughs> Oh, a former guest on the podcast. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's the only one who entered the contest, so he automatically wins. So congratulations, Gary, if you're listening. We, will, if you're not, <laughs> like listen to all the episodes and except then except this one. <laughs> uh, we will send you a Polaroid in the mail, hand signed by us. So actually, we'll probably just see you sometime soon and give it to you in person. But get a hold of us. Uh, we have an email, pastoralcalling at gmail We have the SoundCloud and the iTunes comments. We'd love to hear from you guys. If you have any ideas of end ladies, any ideas of future episodes or things you'd like to hear us talk about or, uh, any recipes you want Matt to give you from his uh, family cookbook. Share us with all your friends too. Yeah. All of them. So 
See you next time, guys. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.